continue on. I'm going to make a, a game time decision uh, with this message today. Um, I have a lot of notes on, on what it is that uh, I want. To, the, the team came to me today and said, we have 88 slides. That's a lot of slides. And uh, so I'm going to make a game time decision. If you would allow me the space, I'm going to work through this subject matter for the next two weeks. Does that work? Yeah. Um, I don't want to speed through it because this is a big, big deal, a big, uh, a big part of this series that we're in uh, that I want to make sure that we take time to cover, and I don't want to zoom through it just to get to the points. Is that all right? So will you give me permission today to just like kind of meander through this, and then uh, here's the deal. Come back next week, all right? And uh, because if you just leave half of it and you don't get like the practical side of it next week, uh, then we're going to miss a, a lot of the power and truth in some of the stuff that I want to cover today. Does that work? Yeah. Is everybody good? Yeah. All right. Proverbs chapter 1, verses 1 through 7 says this. The Proverbs of Solomon, son of David. This is our anchor scripture for the series. King of Israel, for learning wisdom and discipline, for understanding insightful sayings, for receiving prudent instruction in righteousness, justice, and integrity. For teaching shrewdness to the inexperienced, knowledge and discretion to a young man. How many of you right now would say, I like wisdom? All right. Let a wise person listen and increase in learning. And let a discerning person obtain guidance. For understanding a proverb or a parable, the words of the wise and their riddles. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and discipline. So if you're new with us today, if you're guests with us online or in the house, uh, this is our anchor scripture. This is what's keeping this whole series together. Now we're going to read two lengthy pieces of scripture so I can set up the content for today. Does that work? All right. Now go with me to Numbers 22. Numbers 22, 6 through 11. If you don't have your Bible today, it's all right. It's going to be on the screens to the side. And it says this, then Moses and Aaron went from the presence of the assembly to the doorway of the tent of meeting. They fell face down, and the glory of the Lord appeared to them. This is just an amazing worship service they're having. The Lord spoke to Moses, <clears throat> take the staff and assemble the community. You and your brother Aaron are to speak to the rock. I want you to hear this. Every shout, speak. speak. You are to speak to the rock while they watch, and it will yield its water. Notice that God didn't say maybe. He said it will. Okay? You will bring out water for them from the rock and provide drink for the community and their livestock. Verse 9. So Moses took the staff <clears throat> from the Lord's presence just as he had commanded him. Moses and Aaron summoned the assembly in front of the rock, and Moses said to them, <laughs> listen, you rebels. How many of you right there would understand Moses has an issue with some people? <laughs> right? Because how many of you know this service would turn really quickly if I addressed all of you today? Hey, just so you know, we're going to continue on an act of fool. Listen, you rebels. Right? Everybody knows, oh, he's got an attitude right now. This is what he says, listen, you rebels, must we bring water out of this rock for you? Then Moses raised his hand, and what did he do? He struck the rock twice with his staff, <clears throat> so that abundant water gushed out, and the community and their livestock drank. What we see here is that God is faithful, Moses is stupid. <laughs> can I get an amen in church today? Can we talk real about the Bible? Let's just... God told him, hey, if you speak to it, water's going to come out. He didn't. He had an attitude. He was frustrated. He was emotional. And so instead of doing what God asked him to do, he went another direction. One more piece of scripture. Numbers chapter 22, just a few chapters later, 22 through 27 says this. But God was incensed that Balaam was going, and the angel of the Lord took a stand in the path to oppose him. So God sends an angel to oppose this man. 
Balaam was riding his donkey and his two servants were with him. When the donkey saw that the angel of the Lord was standing in the path with a drawn sword in his hand, she turned off the path and went to the field. So a donkey does what a donkey does when a donkey sees an angel with a sword. Just clarity. <laughs> Lord took a stand on the path to oppose him. Balaam was riding his donkey. Okay. Um, when the donkey saw the angel of the Lord standing on the path, sword in hand, she turned off the path, went to the field. So Balaam hit her to return her to the path. Then the angel of the Lord stood in a narrow passage between the vineyards and the stone wall on either side. The donkey saw the angel of the Lord and pressed herself against the wall, squeezing Balaam's foot against it. So he hit her once again. The angel of the Lord then stood ahead in a narrow place where there was no room to turn to the right or the left. When the donkey saw that the angel of the Lord, saw the angel of the Lord, she crouched down under Balaam, so he became furious and he beat the donkey with his stick. Now I love this part. Then the Lord opened the donkey's mouth and she asked Balaam, why have you done to you that you have beaten me? What have I done to you that you've beaten me these three times? Now, regardless of whether you have the faith acumen today to believe whether a donkey can speak or not, and I just happen to believe in this translation called the Bible, right? I believe that this actually happened. God was trying to do something in this moment. Balaam reached out to the donkey in anger. So in two moments, two pieces of scripture, we see two emotional people engaging with their emotions in a way that's inappropriate. So today, as we continue on in our series, Act a Fool, I want to speak to you from the subject, a rock, a donkey, and riding the elephant. As we look at wisdom and our emotions. Will you pray with me just one more time today? Jesus, I thank you for this moment that we have together to gather and I ask right now that as we sit underneath the counsel of your word, that you would speak to us right now, that you would teach us right now, that we'd, you would do your good work of grace in our lives so that we would be the people, the men and the women that you've called us to be. So we honor you right now. Speak to us. We are listening. In Jesus' mighty name, come on, and everybody shouted, amen. amen. Oscar Wilde said it like this, I don't want to be at the mercy of my emotions. I want to use them to enjoy them, and to dominate them. Do I need something? No. Oh, sorry. My team's looking at me like something's wrong, so sorry about that. ADD moment. Oscar Wilde said it like this, I don't want to be at the mercy of my emotions. I want to use them to enjoy them and to dominate them. In his book, The Happiness Hypothesis, writer and author Jonathan Haidt gives us a powerful and pointed illustration concerning our emotions as an elephant, and each of us as the rider on top of it. So I want to illustrate something to us today because they go down this path of saying that you and I, you and I are a rider on the elephant of our emotions. How many of you would agree with me today that our emotions can seem powerful? Come on, show hands. They can seem powerful. They can seem, come on, out of control. I'm just buying time so I can get myself in this stupid thing. Okay, so I need you to stay with me. So I need this, need this to work. Can't find anything around here. There we go. Just wait for it. 
Okay. We'll get there. I'm not doing this for show. I just need you to see the power of this illustration because I think it's, it's really important. There we go. Don't worry, we'll get there. So. Yeah. Yeah. I was going to walk up wearing this, but then I figured I would lose you all right out the gate and never get you back. <laughs> yeah. These are our emotions. The elephant. How many of you would understand that an elephant yields some, some significant power? Just soak it all in in all of its glory. I know. Okay, so... <laughs> Sorry, Stephen. <laughs> I gotta stand back here. <laughs> the, the elephant represents that which is powerful. Happy Mother's Day, by the way. Happy Mother's Day. Hi, Mom. Um, the elephant represents that which is powerful and strong, impulsive. The rider represents that which is thoughtful, deliberate but limited in strength and energy. So how many of you know that if I'm riding an elephant, I can have control, I got the reins of this elephant, but how many of you know that if elephant gets, gets wild, gets spooked, something happens, how many of you know that I have limited power over the elephant? I'm still the rider, I'm, I'm, I'm still in control, we'll talk about this in a few minutes, but what many of us do is we fail to realize the significant of the power of our emotions. And sometimes the rider can get arrogant. Sometimes the rider can believe that they have more power than they do. The Bible puts it like this, take heed lest he fall. So many of us are riding elephants. Right now, some of us this morning walked in here riding an elephant, a powerful one. We're gonna leave here today riding an elephant. And for some of us, we're going to be riding it with a, with a grand idea that I, I've got everything underneath control, but if this thing gets spooked, if this thing gets frustrated, if something happens, how many of you know this thing can turn on me in a moment? And while I still may have the reins, if I'm not careful and I don't appreciate the power of this thing called my emotion, how many of you, it could take off on me? And how many of you know if a, an if elephant takes off, it's going to cause some damage? So the analogy of the rider and the elephant is not a new one. It's one that has been discussed at length and has been regarded as a very appropriate application when dealing with the relationship between ourselves and our emotions. Rider and authors Dan, Chip, Dan and Chip Heath write concerning our relationship with the elephant. Most of us are all too familiar with situations in which our elephant overpowers our rider. You've experienced this before if you've ever slept in, overeaten, dialed up your ex at midnight, procrastinated, tried to quit smoking and failed, skipped the gym, gotten angry and said something you regretted, abandoned your Spanish or piano lessons, refused to speak up in a meeting because you were scared, and so on. So here's what we do then. We tend to either abandon the elephant or we give control over to the elephant. Am I talking to anybody today? 
See, a more philosophical approach would be to become stoic or epicurean in practice. This being seen in giving authority to our emotions or abandoning our emotions in total. The Epicureans, they would give total, like total power and authority to their emotions. Doesn't matter what the emotion was. And it ranged from sensuality to anger to everything in between. And if you give power to your emotions, that's how the Epicureans saw it. And they said, hey, just kind of do whatever you want to do. Live your best life. Let your emotions be. Experience the totality of your emotions. How many of you know that's a dangerous path to go down, though? Let the elephant run. The Stoics, on the other hand, said that all emotions were bad and scary and we shouldn't deal with them, so they became exactly that, Stoic. They abandoned the elephant. Do not have emotions. How many of us have heard that before? Just stand in in, in one single place. A lot of people actually give a lot of uh, critique to the church and say that the church, Christianity as a whole, has really come more, more of a stoic nature. They've, they've said, get rid of all emotions. How many of you have heard that before? And I've bashed emotions for the past couple of weeks just so that we could get to this point. Just so you know, whenever I've said anything about emotions, I was planning on riding an elephant in front of you. So that's what we're going, so we've got we've to deal with our, it's really hard to walk in this thing. We've got to deal with our emotions. See, when we detach or give total authority to our emotions, we become a shell of the human that God has given us the capacity and the ability to be. Or we become unruly and out of control and subject to the ever-changing whims of any momentary feeling. The Apostle Paul deals with this issue head on in Ephesians 4, 17 through 24. Y'all with me still? says this, therefore I say this and I testify in the Lord, you should no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thoughts. That's what he says, they are darkened in their understanding, excluded from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them and because of the hardness of their hearts. Here it is right here. They became callous and gave themselves over to promiscuity for the practice of every kind of impurity with a desire for more and more. And then he says this, but this is not how you came to know Christ. So Paul is dealing with both of these issues here. They became callous, hardened of heart, or they gave in to the totality of their emotions. And this was a very important conversation for Paul because of the ministry that he was doing within the church of Ephesus and within the region of his missional work. Can we do a little history lesson really quick? Paul would be going head to head with the philosophical approaches and cultural nuances of the day. And Ephesus was the the receptor of, of this cultural tidal wave that was coming out of Athens at that time. It was the Stoics and the Epicureans. And what they were doing is they were teaching a philosophy and a way of doing life that was either, hey, like get rid of the elephant as a whole or just let that elephant run and you just just be with it. So Paul's dealing head on with this issue. So this is what we have to remember is that as Paul speaks some of these things, he wasn't speaking this like message out and, and that didn't have to do with anything. He was actually dealing with real deal stuff that was happening. I'll prove it to you. Acts 17, 16 through 18. While Paul was waiting for them in Athens, he was deeply distressed when he saw that the city was full of idols. So he reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and with those who worship God, as well as in the marketplace and every day with those who happened to be there. Some of the Epicurean and Stoic philosophers also debated with him. Some said, what is this ignorant show-off trying to say? 
See, the truth is there will always be a cultural push to adopt the way of the world. Come on, somebody. That's why Paul says in Ephesians 4, 20 through 21, but that is not how you came to know Christ. Assuming you heard about him and were taught by him, here it is, as the truth is in Jesus. Truth's in Jesus. Paul is submitting to all of us that there's a way of wisdom concerning our emotions because the truth is that the stewardship of our emotions has implications upon every area of our life. One author said it like this, if you don't care, if you're callous and apathetic, why bother trying to do anything right? This lack of emotion is dangerous. It's not what God wants. Right emotions under control can motivate us. They are part of a life, listen, worth living. Emotions are truly the spice of life. The reality is that we all grapple with how do I deal with these things called emotions? How do I work through these things called emotions? All right? And largely, emotions have been misunderstood and misrepresented, especially when it comes to the context of faith and life. Are you good if I stay in the elephant for this whole message today? Is that all right? Okay. <laughs> you guys are bad. Um, I'm not even going to lie to you. This is the most nerve-wracking thing I've ever done. Like, I'm shaking on the inside right now. I don't know why. This is weird. Okay. <sighs> how many of you ever wonder yourself, show of hands, how many of you ever wonder, how, how, do, how do I deal with these things called emotions? Like, how am I supposed to work with them? Especially within the context of faith, can we be honest in here? Because I know there's many of us in here who would call ourselves Christ followers. Many of us in here today that maybe are uh, nominal in our faith. We're kicking the tires on faith. We've never even been into church before. All of us would agree on this truth right here, that we all have emotions, and trying to figure out what to do with them is of the utmost importance. Because they take us all kinds of places. They cause all kinds of crazy in our lives. Here's why. Within the natural philosophical literatures, 12 fundamental emotions have been highlighted. Nine unpleasant and three pleasant. This is just within philosophy, okay? And the list would include, according to the Baker Encyclopedia of Psychology and Counseling, sorrow, fear, anger, jealousy, shame, disgust, pain, confusion, and emptiness. These are the unpleasant ones. The pleasant ones are love, Joy and awe. This is according to the psychology. This is according to to counseling education. At a more simplistic level, we can define our emotions as representing heart desires, mental perceptions, bodily sensations, relational concerns, and soul longings. And through cultural morphing, more have been added to that list as well as the defining intensities of such emotions. And I would argue even right now in this moment today, in this service, you've already gone through a plethora of those emotions. Consciously or not, you've gone through some of these these processes already. Some of you have experienced joy. Some of you have experienced anger. Some of you have experienced sorrow. Some of you are mad that there's a pastor speaking to you in an elephant suit right now. (laughs) Serious, where's the reverence? Where's the awe? (laughs) It's joy. (laughs) (laughs) 
Devon can't even look at me right now. It's like, who is this guy? All of that to say, come on, somebody, emotions are complex and many times confusing. The Baker Encyclopedia of Psychology and Counseling would go on to offer this profound truth. Hopefully you can see what I'm trying to do this morning. What, I want, what I'm trying to do is I want to anchor, I want to anchor some of this processing through what we, just, what we understand at, a, at an intelligence level. And then, I'm gonna, then, then we're going to work at how do we bring, what does the Bible speak to us about these things? Because I think many times, especially for those of us who are wrestling with faith sometimes, we can say we, the, the critique upon the church is that we don't talk about these things. I'm, I'm letting you know that we're not, we're, not at, we're not clashing with things that we can we learn intellectually. What I'm trying to let us see is that the stuff that people are talking about now, the Bible offered us freely a long time ago. <laughs> it's an interesting concept. They're complex. So this is what the, the Baker Encyclopedia of Psychology and Counseling we're going to offer this profound truth to us. Human beings have always been, have always desired rationality. However, they generally do not behave rationally, but are driven by emotions. Ideas are of no value until emotions are attached to them. Since the emotion provides the force for action, it is imperative then that as one accumulates a body of knowledge, appropriate emotions can be cached into ideas in order that they may have value. Values are ideas with cached emotions that make a favorable difference in life. Now, this is what the Bible offers us. Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verses 1 through 11. There's an occasion for everything. A time for every activity under heaven. A time to give birth and a time to die. A time to plant and a time to uproot, a time to kill and a time to heal, a time to tear down and a time to build, a time to weep and a time to laugh, a time to mourn and a time to dance, a time to throw stones and a time to gather stones, a time to embrace and a time to avoid embracing, a time to search and a time to count as lost, a time to keep and a time to throw away, a time to tear and a time to sow, a time to be silent and a time to speak, a time to love and a time to hate, a time for war and a time for peace. What does the worker gain from his struggles? I've seen the task that God has given the children of Adam to keep them occupied. He has made everything appropriate in its time. He has also put eternity in their hearts, but no one can discover the work God has done from the beginning to the end. Within the framework of this piece of scripture, we see the swath of human emotion. Come on, somebody. And it's at play in our respective behaviors, and, and those behaviors flow out of these emotions that we have. And the reality is, is that the Bible has a very clear assessment of our emotions and the role that they play in our lives. So if we're not meant to get off the elephant, but we're also not meant to allow the elephant all control, what do we do with the elephant? It's the question of the day. What do we do with this thing called my emotions? And that's what we're gonna spend the rest of our time together today on, and then we're gonna, we're gonna draft into next week and, and finish it out. Does that work with everybody? Yeah. Are you all with me right now? Yeah. All right. This series is causing us to do a lot of work because what I don't wanna do is, is your pastor, please hear my heart behind this, is I don't wanna give us light and pithy stuff right now. Because we're all grappling with this. How many of you know that in 2020 we had some emotions? How many of you know that in 2021 we still have those emotions? 
right? And unfortunately, as a pastor, I watched elephants all over the place, right? How many of you have seen the Jungle Book before, right? And the elephants are just walking through the jungle and destroying everything, right? That was 2020 and now 2021. Elephants on parade. So, so hard. So what do we do with them? Guys, the, the team is really making me struggle up here right now. I can't wait for the memes this week. All right, so let's look at a few truths concerning our emotions. And like I said, I'm gonna just allow the clock to wind down on each of these things and where we get to, we get to. And then next week, y'all back next week? I promise I'll wear the elephant again. Um, bring a friend. Uh, here all week. <laughs> Here's the first truth that I want us to wrestle with today. Our emotions point to what wisdom needs to process. Our emotions point to what wisdom needs to process. I'll say it one more time just so it can hit us all in the right spot. Our emotions point to what wisdom needs to process. But how many of you know that most of the time we just allow emotions to be the process? The elephant gone wild, right? <laughs> I'm gonna use this elephant as much as possible. Proverbs 28, 26, just so we know that it's not my thought. The one who trusts in himself is a fool, but one who walks in wisdom will be safe. Writer John Bloom says it like this, God designed our emotions to be gauges, not guides. He goes on to write, they're meant to report to you, not dictate you. The pattern of your emotions, not every caffeine-induced or sleep-deprived one, will give you a reading on where your hope is because they are wired into what you believe and value and how much. That's why emotions like delight and affection, fear, anger, joy are so important in the Bible. Listen to this. They reveal what your heart loves, trusts, and fears. Then he says this, we like to say that pleasure is the measure of your treasure because the emotion of pleasure is a gauge that tells you what you love the most. Our emotions point to what wisdom needs to process. In other words, life and relationships should be processed through wisdom, here it is, and rational thinking rather than emotions and reactions. Emotions inform us of the things that we need to process with wisdom, intellect, rational thinking, and mature counsel. Yes, I said it. Three words that we hardly ever associate with our emotions. Wisdom, intellect, and rationality. Why? Because we want to let our emotions go. Right? I mean, label the elephant. For some of us, we have, we have natural bents, proclivities towards certain Emotional responses, don't we? How many of you agree that I seem like a passionate person? Right? It's been said one or two times about me. But here's the deal. If I'm honest with you, one of the emotional realities in my life is I can be given towards anger really easy. 
right? And all the passionate people know what I'm talking about. And so therefore, if this elephant known as anger, if I just let it go, oh man, I can, I can rule the day. I can destroy a lot of things. I can destroy a lot of relationships. I can destroy a lot of things in my life if I simply just let the elephant go. But the other thing is, is if I abandon the elephant, how many of you know that something is gonna build up inside of me? If I try to do this stoic thing, then I actually lose the passionate person that I am because there's this thing called anger and, it, and it's got a lot of other rivers to it and a lot of other things to it. And so my passion comes out and it drives a certain way. Why? Because I submit it to the counsel of God. And so therefore it enables me to talk passionately and engage passionately and do things in such a manner that I can keep on going no matter what's coming at me. Why? Because it's been submitted. But some of us are like, oh, I felt something. I don't like it. Run. <laughs> Instead of actually going, wait a second, my emotions are meant to guide me to wisdom. Why am I dealing with this? Again, this is why I said I wanna take time during these, these points is because I can move on, but I wanna be able to target certain things. Within the Christian community especially, let's talk about purity for a second. Can we talk about purity for a second? So we've told especially young people that any semblance of sensuality or desire, especially like pre we deal with a lot of pre-marriage couples, right? What we try to do is we tell them, shut that part of you off, it doesn't exist. And then in, in turn, what do we do is we say it's bad. Can I just go on record? Like, that's not bad. Like, sex is not bad. From a biblical perspective, it's not bad. It's awesome. I'm all married couples, especially. Everybody didn't know what to do with this. He's like, he's riding an elephant talking about sex. This service is really weird. It's really weird. I don't even know what to do with myself. I'm out. Gina, get the kids. Leave now. <laughs> so in the faith communities, the reason that we target this thing is because we're so concerned that the elephant gets out of control. So we label the elephant bad. The elephant's bad. So they have couples entering into the sanctity of marriage, seeing one of the most healthy and beautiful expressions of their intimacy within their marriage has a large sign over it that says bad. And we wonder why couples struggle. So then we find certain outlets for it. Lust, pornography, illicit relationships so that we can try to curb the elephant. Am I talking to anybody today? Yeah. Instead of allowing my emotion to drive me to the person who gives me what we call sovereign emotions. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. Fruits of the Spirit. Come on, somebody. So when I have an emotion, I've got I've to work at submitting it to wisdom. Okay. Why? Because my emotion is just an indicator for me that lets me know, oh, I've got something that I need to process with wisdom now. Yeah. Yeah. 
See what, you see what I'm talking about? This is a really important reality. 1 Samuel chapter 24, verses one through 11. I'm not gonna read it for the sake of time. But Saul and David were in this epic battle with each other. David had been promised to be king by God. Saul was on a murderous rampage to try to take out David. And one day, David finds himself in a cave with all of his men. And Saul comes in, the Bible tells us, to relieve himself. And so while he's in there, David and his men in the very cave that Saul is in, his, he's exposed, right? He's vulnerable. Anything could happen. And David, the Bible tells us, was so close to Saul that he had a moment to be able to take him out. And his men were saying, do it, take him out, get rid of him, get this thing over with. And so how many of you know that in this moment, if you've got somebody who's psychotically going after you to kill you, how many of you know you take the opportunity? Let's just be honest, we're humans. And that's what David's, David's guys were saying, like, take him out now. You're justified, you're able. And maybe we're not talking about killing somebody in a cave, but how about annihilating them with your words? How about that, that instant, that DM that you've been wanting to send for a really long time? He had every opportunity. And the Bible tells us that David cuts the corner of Saul's robe. And then as Saul leaves, he comes out and has a conversation. I'm paraphrasing, you can go back and read the scripture. He has a conversation with Saul and he says, listen, I could have killed you. I could have took you out. But I didn't. Because his emotions were submitted to wisdom. There is a way of wisdom when it comes to our emotions. See, David allowed wisdom, here it is, someone needs to write this down today, to override his emotions. Here's the question I wanna ask you today. Do you have an override button? You know that, that button, like the eject button? Beep, I'm out. Even override button. My emotions, the, the elephant's gone crazy. Override, override, override. And wisdom allows you the ability to deal with it. You could have been celebrated. But David lived according to a different code. He lived according to a different set of standards. He allowed wisdom to process what his feelings informed him of meaning that his emotions informed him that he had an opportunity to take Saul out and should, but wisdom processed in him caused him to take not only the higher road, but the anointed one. I wonder if we have the ability to allow our feelings to be overridden in the moment. The moment of anger, the moment of pain, the moment of euphoria, the moment of love, the moment of fear, you fill in the blank. I wonder if in the moment we can allow our emotions to be a gauge, but allow wisdom to be the guide. I'm gonna leave us right there today. A rock, a donkey, and riding the elephant. This week, all of us are gonna have the opportunity to ride the elephant. Or, as we saw with the rock and the donkey, exercise our emotions. And I wonder if we can be the type of people that can, with joy, submit the elephant to wisdom.